Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name's Andrew. And I'm Matt. And today is episode 49 of the Locust and Honey 49. podcast. 49. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. We need to do Almost like 50. a- Yeah. We need to do like a, a, a half centennial. A half. What is that called? A half centennial? Because bicentennial is 200. And then- Yeah. So- I don't. I think it's just 50. It's just 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. <clears throat> Well, today we've got a good episode, and um, yeah. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about, did you tell the name? No. Oh, what is it? The name is Family Integrated Churches. Family Integrated Church. Integrated Church. I like yes. it. Family like, Integrated Church. So we're going to be talking about like <laughs> intergenerational churches? Yes. And what that means? Yeah. Because that's a big word. It is a big word. That's why that I didn't make it you the title because it's like huge. You thought most of our audience wouldn't understand what that meant. Well, I mean, I, I don't understand what it means. So, But I, I had faith in them. It's true. But you did not. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's okay. Well, um, before we get into family integrated church, let's affirm and deny some stuff. All right. Kick us off with an affirmation. All right. I will affirm the table that I built. The table. The table. What kind of table is it? It was a workbench that Ooh. I built to put in our garage so right. that I can work on and, and build other things on. And um, it was my first project having to do with woodworking. And so it was pretty cool. I had to like make the joinery and all that stuff in it and have the, the saw. I, had only, I'm only, I only have a circular saw. And so that made it interesting because I had to do every single cut with that one saw. Yeah. And so I had to find a way. Like there was one thing that I had to do that really you needed like a table saw for. Right. And so I had to like cut a piece of wood long ways. Yeah. So I had the circular saw and I'm like going and going and going to my blade stops because it's just too long. Uh -huh. So I have to like take it out and start it up again and then proceed forth with it. And like, I was like, this is just, this isn't what I need to be doing with this. But it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, it was fun. It took a lot of time because it was my first time doing a lot of this stuff, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. Nice. And this goes to your um, resolve of making men great again. Yes. 2023. Yeah. Working with your hands. I like it. Building things. Built a table. Yes. Very cool. Um. All right, so I'm going to affirm. Uh, all right, so two things. One, I will affirm. No, I'll just do one so that we can not spend as much time in the affirmations and denials. I'm going to affirm our intro music. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it was created by the one and only Andrew Robinson. 
one and only me. Yay. That just keeps going. I don't know that I timed it right. But um, yeah, so if you've ever heard our intro song and you're like, hey, that's kind of catchy. And you made it. Yeah, I might I might try and uh, revise it at some point because there's some stuff stuff going on every time I listen to it and I hear it. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> All right. But so there might be a, a different one. Not a different one. 2.0. 2.0 coming soon. Yeah. But well, I appreciate it. Yeah. It yeah. was fun. That was fun too. It was. Yeah. 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 Well, now let's deny some stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, um, enough of that positivity. Ugh. All right. Um, okay. So, my denial will start with something positive, and then it will kind of morph into something that is to be denied. Oh, okay. Um, so, there's an NHL player named Ivan Provorov. Dra- Drago? Pro- yeah. Provorov, I think is how you say his name. say it with a Russian accent. Ivan Provorov. Yeah. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. Um, that's actually the best Russian accent I've ever done. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, probably wasn't that great either. Someone's probably like, ew. Um, Some Russian. Yeah. They're probably yeah. Like, um, <laughs> so this guy, Ivan Provorov, he was on the Philadelphia Flyers, or he is on the Philadelphia Flyers, and they had a pride night a couple days ago. Yep. And basically what what for anyone who doesn't follow like sports, what's happened in the last, I don't know, five, ten years in as far as the four really major sports in the US that be Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, which is hockey, is teams will every now and then have what they call Pride Night where they'll, you know, during like the pregame ceremony or something, they'll like you know, recognize the LGBTQ community of the city that they're in. And then they'll right. they sometimes... Do so they don't get canceled. Right. And then sometimes they'll wear, you know, rainbow uniforms or have some sort of pride thing on their on their uniforms. By pride, you mean gay pride. Yeah. 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 Um, and so the the Philadelphia Flyers were going to do this a couple nights ago. And a, and a player named Ivan Provorov said, I'm not going to do that. He said, um, so he's a Christian... Well, he's Russian Orthodox. Orthodox. Um, And he said, I respect everyone. Um, I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and to my religion. So he basically said, you know, there's nothing I can really do to stop everyone else from doing this thing, but I'm not going to do it. Um, My religion does not allow that. And he was specifically speaking of... I don't really know much about Russian Orthodox. Well, he's out, saying, I'm but, not going to celebrate yeah. pride. <clears throat> right. Um, because if everybody has the freedom to celebrate what they want, then I'm going to also right. celebrate the things that I value. Right. Right. And so that was something that we actually need more of. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the reaction to it was kind of like, you know, a... It's kind of like a disease that comes into a body and all the white blood cells just like attack it. That was kind of what happened to this well, Ivan Provorov in guy. Cancel culture, right? And so, yeah. um, like the immune system of cancel culture and of the left just like completely attacked this guy. And so you had all of like the shows that are like covering the NHL. We're talking about it, and you have you know uh, different people tweeting about it and stuff like that. Um, and they're all kind of saying like, he's being intolerant. He's being intolerant. Uh, it's kind of the big thing is like, how could this bigot play? One guy even said, you know, if he wants to, um, truly be, uh, you know, I guess what he was saying, like, if he wants to be, if he wants to truly show that he cares for people, then he needs to go back to Russia and fight for the Ukraine against Russia, which didn't make much sense to me. But, um, and so... Anyway, it, it's kind of interesting to see we're at a place in our, with our culture where it's so blatantly hypocritical. Like, okay, you're going to say that um, I'm intolerant because I'm deciding to do what I feel that, you know, well, ultimately what I feel the Lord's called me to do, but I'm deciding to do something because of my religion, but you're over here saying that, you know, 
if I decide that what you're doing, I don't like what you're doing, I'm intolerant. Yeah. When you've decided you don't like what I'm doing and you're being the same way, in fact, you're being worse, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, so I'll deny that. That was, that. that's expected, um, but it's still worth denying because it's so blatantly like hypocritical, right. you know? Yeah. Well, and so like the NHL specifically, like they're known for that whole group think mentality yeah uh which is why so few uh major nhl players come out as professing christians right um they're all kind of just really expected to toe the line on what is socially acceptable and so for him saying i'm not going to take part in the the pregame pride night um he'll definitely face and is facing unjust backlash and penalties for that but so just pray for him and that yeah um ultimately that christians will speak up and speak out yeah the nfl it's a lot different you know uh especially since um jamar hamlin Mm -hmm. and, and what happened there you had a lot of guys that were praying and things like that and we kind of talked about that but that that opportunity gave a lot of people in the NFL that are followers of Christ, um, they were really able to share the gospel with a lot right. of guys during that time. And um, But yeah, the NHL is is not that same atmosphere. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, it, it shows the hypocrisy of the culture. Uh, it's, it's very self-centered, uh, very um, just desiring power desiring, um, all of that stuff. And so it's, we have to be inclusive, um, but only in as much as you're affirming what I'm doing. Right. And then I can deny your, it's not equal. It's not Mm -hmm. justice. Right. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's just those that are in sin wanting to be celebrated for their sin and, and never, um, if if you don't, then that's hate speech. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to deny what's going on with old Joe Biden. Oh, gosh. So. Which part? Which And, and this is going to lead into today. Yeah. Uh, it's going to lead into our message. But so, you know, the media is all over about they've discovered all of these documents. One, you know, he had some classified documents in his garage he has now now they've found all kinds of in his, classified uh, personal, documents uh, office right yeah. um and and so if you are looking at this um objectively it's very easy to see that the the media they've been run by the left um for a long time and they're very capable of squashing information that they don't want to get out and burying it. Um, but they're not. Everybody's running with this. And so what you're seeing is the the left is tired of Joe and they've got a game plan and this is part of that game plan uh, to get him out of office. And what I'm denying is um, – not so much that that's happening or that the media is pushing their agendas. What I'm denying is most people's response to what's going on. So most people watch the news and they're kind of led along by what's going on. The news is kind of narrating how they see the world around them. brings a lot of fear. It brings a lot of dependency on staying informed on what the news is saying is going on and that kind of thing. But, a lot of Christians, when I hear them talk about the culture or they talk about what's going on on the news and all of that stuff, most people don't know what to do, right? right. And so I'm denying that. Um, I'm denying how Christians have been responding to what's going on in the culture around them. Uh, so with this, people are like, okay, yep, Joe's doing this. It's it's a way to get him out. The people that are pushing this, they already have a backup plan, uh, somebody who's going to be more suited for accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish in the future. Um, <clears throat> and and so it's now Joe's time to go. But um, 
but the, the the church isn't handling this the way that scripture tells us to, right? So with my denial, the the question that I that is raised is what do we do? Like how do we stand up against this? Do we go vote? Do we do this? Do we do that? And and truthfully, the answer is that God puts poor leadership over people that deserve it. And then those that are seeking after him, those that are crying out, those that are repenting of sin and all of that, he gives them good leadership and a time of blessing and fruitfulness. And and so um, the fact that we got Joe over us in the first place shows the heart of the American people. Mm-hmm. And if somebody worse is coming along, that is also our fault because of our lack of repentance. And so how do you get good leadership in a country? The people submit to the Lordship of Christ. They repent of sin. There's revival. There's this reformation of the heart of the people collectively. And, And part of that is just like with the individual, I can't be a follower of Christ if I'm not willing to repent of sin. You know what I mean? Mm. So like if I identify as my sin and then claim to be that and a Christian, right? So like uh, I'm a homosexual Christian or I'm a whatever. That's like me saying I'm a murdering Christian. Right. I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I was born with this desire to murder people. Right. And so I still identify as that and I still act on that, but I'm doing that while following Christ. Right. Well, you can't. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? But that's where our culture is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can affirm Christ. You can affirm the Bible to be true as long as you still have your identity in your sin. Yeah. That's acceptable. But if your identity is in Christ and his word, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's antiquated. That's bigoted. That's misogynistic. That's, you know, right. all of that racist. It's all of these horrible words that we can think to call people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, um, but the answer, what do we do? And I feel like we've talked about this before, but the answer is number one, we get in churches that are standing on God's word and preaching and teaching God's word. It's not just topical sermons every day. We're, we're digging into exegetically the teaching and preaching of God's word. We're submitting to those churches and their authority. Um, we are getting married. We are raising up children in the admonition of the Lord. We are eliminating porn from guys' lives. Girls are eliminating the, the you know, um, like the rom-com idea of what a man is and, mm-hmm. and then the whole idea of feminism and what that should look like, that emotional porn, women are eliminating that. They're going to the word for that. And um, and we are going to work and living out the gospel. We are getting our kids out of public schools and being inundated with a, a, a secular worldview. We're raising up our kids in the ammunition of the Lord we're doing that and then we're being joyful and we're reading God's word. If you're not doing reading through the Bible, get on a Bible reading plan. If you're, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like that's the answer. That's what brings revival is the people start turning back to God's word and start living that out in a society that that's not popular. Right. Because once we do that, then that is what invades the culture, the gospel living through us and loving through us, while also speaking truth, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, so the answer to getting a better government, right? Like the leaders in government, the answer is revival. Right. Um, the answer to, uh, if you look at the, the state of the American churches, if you look at the pulpits in the American churches, uh, most of the bigger churches uh, have very weak pulpits. They have, mm-hmm. you know, they call it evangelifish. You know, like, um, it's this big Eva, like they're, they're, they're preaching this watered down truncated gospel and people are following and submitting to that, but that, that, that's not the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we need to get back to what does gospel centered actually mean? Yeah. And it means that the gospel is at the center, but at the center of what? The gospel is at the center of everything, Mm -hmm. all of life, all of politics, all of you know, 
uh, our workplace, our family, our all aspects of life, the gospel is at the center of all of that. So if I try to make the gospel at the center of my religious part of life, but then it's not at the center of all the other stuff, then it's not really at the center. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just at the center of that. But the gospel being at the center means that it's at the center of all of life, every right. single thing. It is the center. Uh, it's the nebulous that everything spins around is mm-hmm. the, the fact that God in flesh came, lived, died on the cross for our sins, and he atones for our sins, makes uh, interceding for us before the Father. He is this bridge between creation and creator, and in him we are adopted, uh, not because of anything we've done, but because of his holiness and what he's done. Uh, He then conquers sin, death, and the grave and rises on the third day, showing the sacrifice was a worthy sacrifice. Um, like that should invade all of life. Right. You know what I mean? So, uh, so that is the answer. And that brings about revival. And what I mean by revival is this turning from sin, this repentance of sin. So for like the American people, a lot of our sin has become political. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because the, uh, the, the current culture is trying to take sin and legalize it and push it on everybody. And so that makes it political. You know, uh, the, the left is pushing their political agenda and all of that. And, and, and so a lot of what we have to apologize for is abortion and LGBT redefining marriage mm-hmm. and, um, just tons of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and once that happens, we will get a, a more biblical leadership, mm-hmm. you know? So that brings us into this book that I've been reading called family driven faith. Um, because when you see a family that comes under this understanding of, of revival, when you see a, a family who, um, God has penetrated their hearts and he is leading and guiding and directing them. And they're no longer wanting to have this secular mindset and fit in with society, but they're trying to structure everything according to God's word. And Christ is at the center of all aspects of life. Uh, what you see is this um, family driven faith that happens and the family shifts and it looks different and it acts different. Right. And, um, and you see, husbands becoming pastors of the home. You see husbands and wives um, that look different than today. Husbands become biblically masculine. Wives become biblically feminine in the way that they interact with each other and the way that they interact with their kids. Children are submissive to parents. Children are in the word. They're being raised in the admonition of the Lord. They're not being raised with this secular atheistic, which means apart from God, education, Mm. um, but they have this all-encompassing Christ-centered education, and they're not just taught what to think and what to regurgitate, but they're taught how to think, and um, they're not, you know, they they now also are not just taught uh, what to think about the Bible, but they're taught why they believe what they believe based on God's word, And, and once that happens, then the things that go on in the culture are a lot harder to fool people, right? you know, because you see God's standard of truth, God's standard of right, God's standard of wrong and why it's his standard. And so then when you see something else, you're like, no, that's not a man. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. Clearly it's not. Um, and, and so um, it's a lot harder to easily get people to just kind of fall in line to what you're saying. Right. Um, and that will invade the the culture. So, Uh, A part of this book that I wanted to talk about today, though, that um, really kind of jumped out at me is um, I am a youth pastor. You are the minister of music and you also lead the college class. Yes. Right. So uh, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about flaws in the contemporary model of church. By contemporary, I mean like the contemporary modern, uh, the contemporary model of the American church as we've known it our whole lives. Yes. Um, so I'm going to kind of read some some stuff and 
we'll just kind of talk about it. So this book, Family Driven Faith, is by Vody Bauckham. Uh, Vody Bauckham has, uh, you know, he was at uh, Southeastern and um, he's the dean of an African Christian university in Zambia. He's authored a bunch of stuff and I've always really liked listening to, to Vody. But what he says is that the church in America is in trouble. Teens are abandoning the faith in astounding numbers. Birth rates are plummeting as our attitude towards children continues to sour. The overwhelming majority of those who call themselves Christians do not think biblically. And the answer given most often is to have better youth ministries. Um, then he goes on to talk about uh, about 75% of teens leaving the church uh, by the end of their freshman year in college. And it currently takes two Christian families in one generation to get a single Christian into the next generation. So what he's talking about is there are an alarming number of people leaving the church, right? By their freshman year in college, there's a lot of people that have grown up in the church. They've gone through these big, robust youth groups. And when they get off to college, they're uh, leaving the faith. Right. Some of them are... Um, <laughs> and a lot of them that don't end up in the ministry. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Uh. And so, but what he's saying is uh, that... It's taking now two families to get one person in the church in the next generation. Mm. So what that means is if the average family, it, I think it's like 2.5 kids in the average family. Let's just say three kids, right? So average family, mom, dad, three kids, you got five people. It, it's taking one in 10 are going to be in church the next generation. So out of those five, out of those 10 peoples in the two families, one of them will be going to church, statistically speaking, yeah. in the next generation. And, and so what we're doing is we're, we're completely, um, there, there's no generational, like there's, there's, there's a lack of families reaching their kids with the truth of the gospel. Right. And so then he goes on to talk about what what is our current culture said the fix is for this. Well, we need better youth ministries. We need more outreach. We need more evangelism. We need more of, you know, that kind of stuff. Let's go into the community. Let's go into the schools. Let's go into this. Let's go into that. And let's have people come to our big dog and pony show. You know what I mean? Right. Um, let's Let's have concerts. Let's have all this stuff. Um, and, and what they're seeing is this really kind of started in the sixties and seventies, you know, where you started having youth groups, uh, in the seventies and all of that. But what they're seeing is that while they're in the eighties and nineties, you had all these huge churches with lots of people because they made the whole experience a lot of fun and, um, lock-ins and big youth groups and mm -hmm. summer camps and ski retreats and all the stuff, um, that's not helping retain people. Uh, there's still this mass exodus of people because they're not being transformed by the word. Right. right? Um, and, and so then he goes on and he talks about uh, if a society continues, He this is a quote from... A guy named Dudley. So if a society is to continue its existence beyond one generation, the members must transmit what they consider to be necessary knowledge and values. The continuity of a social system by definition requires transmission between generations. Applying to this, applying this to religion, churches, and other religious communities must be vitally concerned with the retaining of children from member families. Uh, in other words, preventing youth dropout is a major consideration for any religious group that desires a future. And um, so then he talks about how uh, could it be that we have established a system designed to meet the wrong needs and attack the wrong problems? And he talks about the average youth group. 
their purpose is to see unbelieving students become committed followers of Christ. The plan is to desire to achieve the purpose through evangelism, equipping and engaging students of the uh, of this church and of the surrounding community. Evangelize. We are committed to expose the middle school and high school students to the message of Jesus Christ. Equip. We want to teach mature and train those who are seeking to become committed followers, equipping them to reach out to their peers. You want to engage them. Uh, we want to provide opportunity for our commit our committed students to be actively involved in ministering to one another. And then the vision is to evangelize, equip, and engage as many middle school and high school students for Jesus Christ as possible. And so he talks about how um, the biggest problem with that is it makes absolute no mention of parents. Mm. Uh, The ministry sets out to do for teens what God commands parents to do. Uh, He says, it is not the job of the youth pastor to evangelize my child. That's my job. It's not the youth pastor's job to equip and disciple my child. It's mine. And it's not the youth pastor's job to send my child out to engage the world. That's my job too. Um, And so that's what what I want to discuss is that. Like, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, What do you think about that? What? Yeah, let's start there. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think we've fallen into the trap of uh, pragmatism in a lot of churches. Um, What's pragmatism? So, just the idea that hey, you know, this thing seemed to work here, so now let's all do it. How do you know what I mean? Yeah, and typically when you're talking um, about pragmatism for something to work, what is the standard for it working? The amount of the numbers, yeah. the amount of, of there's responses a big, there's you There's a get. big crowd. Yeah. Lots of people. The crowd that you draw. Yeah. Um, and I think that what that's done is it's turned um, church churches into almost marketing businesses for Jesus. Yeah. As if Jesus needs marketing. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And so... Um, what what that does is it puts the church into a realm that it doesn't belong in, which is the same realm as say TikTok or, um, you know, as far as trying to market itself to teen to unbelieving teenagers in the same way that say TikTok does. Mm-hmm. You, that's not how it works, <laughs> you know. Right. Because TikTok doesn't have the word of God, you know. Right. TikTok does not have, you know, the father drawing people into himself, you know. And yeah. and I think that really what the what the it really boils down to is a lack of understanding of how people are saved and how people are um, discipled. Because once you understand how people are saved and people are discipled, then you realize that pragmatism and strategies are not going to work, you know? Um, and so uh, now do you have a strategy of, okay, you know, let's all go to the, to the abortion mill and preach out against abortion. Or do you have the strategy of, okay, let's go two by two to the, to the town we live in and try and share the gospel. Like that's, that's a different thing than, Hey, you know, we need to form a six step plan to get an unreached teenager into, you know, becoming a fully functional member of the church. Right. Like that's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, well, well, but what, what's happening is they're not becoming fully functional members of the church. Right. You have multiple churches in one building. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so typically what you have is you, you then have a youth group that's become a church in and of itself. Those people have united together. You know what I mean? Right. But they're, they're, they're not integrated into the full body because it's it's segregated by age right and and once they graduate i i would say the majority of people that are leaving uh obviously there there there's no perseverance because that person's heart has not become a heart of flesh they still right. have that heart of stone they still have that rejection of God, but there's, once they're leaving, they've graduated 
what they know to be church at their friend group, what's comfortable to them. And now they're thrown into this larger church body where they don't know people and they don't have connections and relationships. And they're not a member of that church. They were a member of the youth group, right? you know? And, uh, and so then they don't know anybody there. So they either go somewhere else or they just leave altogether. And, um, and so this idea of family integration in church, uh, I think is a healthy model for the church to pursue. Yeah. Uh, because what, you, what you're seeing is, um, so Vody in, in, in this chapter, he says, it seems many parents yearn for someone to give their children what they, for some reason are unable, unequipped and unwilling to provide. This is also fueled by the growing census that views teen rebellion and the generation gap as the norm. Youth ministers feel pressured by the expectations placed on them by parents and pastors alike. They know the drill. And um, basically um, what he says, what youth pastors are, are having to put out there is our youth ministry exists to do the job that you've neglected all of these years. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, but like, if you look at our culture, that's what's happening. Parents are sending their kids off to school to be educated and learn how to read and write and anything they want to do with education. They're, they're wanting the teachers to do that. Parents aren't involved in educating their kids. Then those that go to church, they're sending them off to children's ministries and youth ministries so that the people there can spiritually educate their kids and get them on the the right path is typically you right. know, the way it is pushed. So, uh, yeah, my kid goes to youth group. They're, they're, they're hearing the gospel. They go to school. They're being taught there. And parents are not investing in their children. But if yeah. you read Deuteronomy, like the Deuteronomy 6, the Shema is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and teach these diligently to your children. You know, right. like, um, and, and so what Vody's point is in all of this, what he's arguing for is, um, he says, I believe it is the product of the American education system. And in some instances, it actually works against families as opposed to helping them pursue multi-generational faithfulness. I believe the church the church's emphasis ought to be on equipping parents to disciple their children instead of doing it on their behalf. Um, and, and then he talks about how there's no biblical mandate for the current approach. The current approach may actually be working against the biblical model. And um, what, one of the verses that he uses here is Titus 2. Uh, so Titus 2 women in light of the contemporary segregated model, all right? So Titus 2, starting in verse 3, it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dis." Uh, dishonored. And so what Vody says is, how can older women instruct the younger women if everyone is in a Sunday school class with people within nine months of their own age? Better yet, how can this type of mentoring even happen if most of the younger women are across the parking lot in the youth building? An even better question is, how much of our time do we spend in our youth and college ministries teaching younger women about motherhood, homemaking, child-rearing, and biblical submission. There was no mention of this type of ministry in the aforementioned mission statement. You know, so what he's saying is, um, and then likewise for men, like Paul, when he's talking to the men in the church, it's the same thing. Uh, They're to come alongside the younger men and instruct them um, and, and, and teach them and pour into them. And so, um, with that, what are your thoughts on 
what this could look like. Cause he kind of, he lays out what a family integrated church should look like. Um, but so for the typical church, which is going to have uh, the typical Southern Baptist church in America, which is what we're in. Um, they're going to have a children's ministry. They're going to have a youth ministry. They're going to have a college ministry. Most of them have some sort of senior adult ministry, single singles ministry, mm-hmm. that kind of, there's a bunch of ministries and they're all age segregated, right? Right. How do you get from that to a biblical understanding of being intergenerational? Um, and, and why is that important? Well, as far as, I don't know, something I thought about with parents, you know, um, it seems like, and I, I can, I guess, speak to this as, you know, being a husband and, and being married for a few years, I'm not a parent yet, but, you know, it seems like there is across the board kind of like a, not a rejection, but a lack of delight in the things that the Lord has called us to as as husbands, as wives, you see a lot of Christian wives who don't want to submit to their husbands because they don't like the word submit, you know? Right. You see a lot of husbands who don't want to lead their wives because they think that all I need to do is provide for the household. Yeah. You see a lot of, you know, mothers and fathers who don't want to take care of their children properly because they think they don't have the amount of time to do that or the amount of headspace to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I think the first thing that needs to happen is I think there needs to be a repentance of um, husbands, wives, mothers, and fathers of rejecting or not delighting in that which the Lord has called us to as those roles, you right. know? Um, and then I think, you know, it, it is, it's a tough, I guess, <laughs> it's a tough process because, you know, we're speaking to this as a youth pastor and a college and career leader, but I think ultimately, you know, those, I guess that what the end would look like is, you know, you'd have, you can still have those groups of people who congregate together and stuff. But at the end of the day, when we come together as a congregation, we're coming together as a congregation. We're not going and breaking off into 90 different groups yeah. and, and, and really treating those groups as an outsourcing um, of the parents' roles and um, as a product to whatever I mean, because the youth group in a lot of in a lot of churches is a product. It is it is what they sell. It's like, well, yeah, bring your families here so your kids can go to this yeah. youth group. You know what I mean? Um, and but it's it's a it's a bot product, right? Right. So like they're investing in a salary, they're investing in trips, they're investing like the church right. is investing in right. this to see it succeed, right? But it's mostly financially invested in, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, instead of like spiritually right yeah and so yeah i don't know well, that's so, kind of my thoughts so and, far and i, I don't think know where else <laughs> that it's important because what the church should be doing in the passage that you started off with ephesians 4 uh what it says is that we the church needs to be teaching families to do what the bible tells them to do and then hold them accountable for it, mm-hmm. you know, for the equipping of the saints in the work of ministry. The job of the church is to equip the saints to do their job, not to do it for them, you know? And I feel like that's what the church is doing. And by the church, I mean, specifically the American church in our current culture, um, they, they're, doing what the family is called to do instead of equipping the family to do it. Right. You know, so I took this job understanding that the role of a youth pastor is not a biblical role, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and I also understood that what I'm doing is actually the job of the fathers in the youth group that I lead. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I want to do is, and, 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 I want to be equipping the parents to best lead their kids. Right. You know, instead of just leading their kids for them, I want to equip the parents to, to be able to do that, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and to be 
like a supplemental, uh, I'm, I'm coming alongside of them and just helping reinforce, or if they've got questions about certain things, they can come right. and talk to me, but I don't want to be the guru in, in the ministry that I'm in. I want their fathers to be that, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to, uh, better equip the fathers to lead their kids in the admonition of the Lord. Right. You know? Um, and the other thing is just, you know, uh, so some of the pushback too, though, that you get with that is, well, what, what about the parents that, that aren't equipped for that? Like that's, that's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the intergenerational. You've got older people in the church that are there for the purpose of equipping the younger. Right. The reason that we have people over the age of 60 in our church is to be able to pour into the younger, the mm-hmm. younger families, the younger parents, so that they can pour into their kids. You know, um, if you think about a family, a family is the most most healthy when you have kids, parents, grandparents, great grandparents. Like right. You have all this wealth of knowledge amongst these people, and they're continuing to pour that knowledge down each generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're 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 also pouring wealth down. They're pouring, you know what I mean? Like right. uh, a family is a blessing to people because it allows financial stability. It allows uh, this wealth of knowledge and how to do things and how to survive and flourish and grow. Uh, it's how God has blessed people by giving them a family structure. But it's the same thing in the church. Like the church is a family. It's the body of Christ. And you have these older saints that have been married for 60 years that have gone through all these valleys that can pour into these younger, newly married couples. You've mm-hmm. got, you know, um, people that have raised children and now have grandchildren and great-grandchildren that can pour into these people that are just starting out desiring to raise kids. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that is the purpose of the body of Christ. It's for all of us to come together and to be doing that. And so... um, yeah, I think if you look at this, it, it makes sense too. Um, so like the current average youth group, um, let's say they do a big push. They want to get, you know, we're going on a summer camp and we've normally got 30. We want to take 50 kids to summer camp and they do that, right? Well, now I got 50 kids. Wow, we've we've grown. You right. know? So like we're reaching out, we're invading the community, we're doing all this stuff. But when you're doing it apart from families, it just it it it's not as beneficial as if you just did what God's word said. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you've got a church and it's a hundred people. All right, hundred people church. They've got a youth group and it's fifteen kids. Um, so fifteen kids in the youth group, a hundred people, and in that church now. The, the leadership of that church starts equipping the saints for the work of ministry. They start uh, preaching God's word and teaching God's word. And, and in that, fathers start to get a burden for what God's called them to. They start teaching on biblical masculinity. They start teaching on biblical femininity. They start teaching on the family and what the family should look like. They start teaching on fatherhood and motherhood and um, and, and the fathers in the church get a burden for their family. Mm-hmm. And in that they start pouring into their kids and grandkids. And, and as they start to be impacted by the gospel out of this hundred member church, let's say all of their family started coming to church, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So, well, now you've got like five, 600 members that are going to this church without doing any extra evangelism outside of the walls of the church body, right. they're just reaching their kids and their grandkids with the gospel. Now your church has gone from 100 to, let's say, 500. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like right. That's exponential growth. But then you're now pouring into your kids and teaching them to pour into their kids who pour into their kids. So over generations, that local body of believers continues to grow and grow as the families grow. Mm-hmm. You know? Um the way that God has established the church, the way that God is, if you look at the Old Testament, the way that they grew was by having kids. Right. You know, um, they weren't evangelizing 
other nations they were conquering. They were <laughs> doing all that yeah. stuff, but they were having kids and their kids were having kids and their kids were having kids and they grew exponentially, yeah. you know? Um, now we want to bring the truth of the gospel to lost people, uh, but we need to be doing that um, intergenerationally, mm-hmm. you know? reaching fathers with the gospel, reaching mothers with the gospel, having them pour and teaching them how to pour into their children, you know? Right. Um, instead of just trying to get this ninth grader to come to our church and then lead their family, like that's not the that's not the way it was intended, you know? Because um, now you're putting the burden on You're putting the burden on this kid. ninth grader yeah. who is supposed to be being taught and, and, and engaged... Like we want to grow churches by by the the children, right? But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model of growing churches is by the men and then the women, mm-hmm. you know, and then they are teaching and instilling in their kids. So we're doing it backwards, you know, and then we're wondering why we're theologically shallow, right? You know, and so, um, but if you look at the average church, if they reached half of the families that are in the church, they reach their kids and their grandkids, half of them, you, you would see churches automatically double in size. Right. You know? So most of the churches that are spending all of this money to reach people outside of the church, a majority of their family isn't even going to that church. Right. Or church in general, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so um, if we would do that, we would see this number growth, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is passing on the truth of God's word to future generations. And the best way you're going to do that is by parents pouring into their kids to see this is God's word. This is why it's true. This is why it's good, which goes back to my original denial, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way that we see revival in America is when Christians start living it out they're reading the word they're living out the word they're they're getting married they're being husbands and fathers and raising their kids up in the admonition of the lord they're teaching them how to see and think and have a biblical worldview and they're not having this worldview that that the current culture is teaching kids right because the the public school is preaching. It's preaching to our kids. Social media is preaching. We've talked about this before. Culture's not neutral, right? Like our current culture is preaching and teaching to our kids, and it's all anti-gospel. It's right. anti-Christ. It's it's atheistic. It's without God, and um, and so it's secularism. You know, we're teaching them secularism, how to live and move and breathe without God, you mm-hmm. know, how to get a job, how to get, oh, we can redefine marriage. We can redefine right and wrong. We can redefine murder. We can redefine motherhood. We can redefine all of these different things apart from God because uh, a secular society is saying that there is no standard of, of God, right? right? Like, so God does not define right and wrong. We do. That's what secularism is. It's us defining everything that God created apart from God. And so we build this makeshift world and we say, this is the world we're living in, but that's not the world. The world that we actually live in is the world that God created. Right. And he has set the laws and he set what's right. He set what's wrong. He set the the penalties for breaking his laws. And he's also set who he's going to bless and who he's going to curse. Mm-hmm. And he's going to bless those that love him and he's going to curse those that are against him, right. you know? And, and so um, if we get in the word, read our Bibles, sit under sound preaching, listen to the preaching and teaching of God's word, um, allow our mind to be transformed by God's word and not the culture, uh, then you will see families that face revival, right. you know, and that's going to look more like a family integrated church at that point. Right. Uh, when the church starts not doing the job of parents, but equipping the parents to do the job, you're going to have a more healthy church and, and it's going to be family integrated uh, more so than, than what they are now, because instead of just, all right, public school educates my kids, youth group, uh, spiritually educates my kids. I'm just going to coast until they go off to college and, 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll take them to ball. We'll, we'll have fun doing that kind of stuff on the weekends. But like during the weekday, the church and the school, they're educating them. And then they wonder when they graduate, oh, well, why are they leaving? Yeah, it seems like, you know, the bar is set extremely low. It is. To the, to the point that as the parents feel like as long as I'm present, I'm doing as my job. As long as they're alive. Right. As yeah. long as I go to yeah. my my son's baseball game and he doesn't have to sit there without his dad there, then I'm I'm being a what I need to be as a father. Right. You know what I mean? And that's from like, you know, well, yeah, you're not, you know, you haven't completely left your wife and kids and gone and disappeared on them or right. something, but like that's not necessarily <laughs> what we're striving for, right. you know. Yeah. Well, because so and and that's secularism, right? Right. It's pragmatism. It's secularism. We're looking at what the world says is successful. Mm-hmm. Like I'm out providing. I'm out making money. I'm out doing this. I'm out doing that. I don't have time for spending right. a lot of time doing this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pawn it off. Mm-hmm. But if 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 the standard is God's word, if God's word is the center of all of life, then the standard is much higher right? and, and I'm, I'm failing there and, mm-hmm. you know, and so then I need like-minded believers to come alongside of me and help equip me to do the work of ministry that he's called me to do as a parent, as a parent, mm-hmm. as a husband, you know, as a wife, as children, what is the standard for being a child? Like if you look at the old Testament, when they were like completely disrespectful to their parents and and unruly, they were taken outside in stone, you know, in Deuteronomy Um, because the call is to submit to Mm -hmm. your parents because they are, uh, they are there as, as like God, the father is over us and we submit to him. He is our father. Um, And then parents are like the under shepherd, like Mm -hmm. the pastor is, the head pastor of the church is Christ. Christ is the head shepherd. You have under shepherd, which are pastors. Um, God is the father. We have earthly fathers that are there. If I'm disrespecting them though, I'm disrespecting ultimately God's authority on my life, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and and so that's why that call was so severe. But, but we need to be equipping. We're, we're letting, and then you got a lot of parents too that they say, well, I'm just going to, I don't want to force my kids to to believe this or that. I'm right. going to let them learn and choose and decide on their own. The problem is culture's not doing that. Culture's right. preaching to them. Culture's telling them what to think and why and why they should, you know, this is what you think, this is what you say, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Anybody who believes otherwise is is wrong. Right. You know? And uh, and that's why you've got so many kids that are going off to college and then they're coming home thinking well, I've been a part of this patriarchal right. society. My parents are racist Everybody's and fascists and fascists. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And so yeah. I, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Um, but if you're pouring into kids and they already know how to think and they already know their standard for right and wrong is God's word, they're not impacted by that. The The, the culture is not as alluring uh, to them because they're, they're fully satisfied in Christ at that point. Mm-hmm. You know? So... Um, I think that's the call is, is we need churches that are equipping families to do the work of ministry instead of doing it for them. Right. What does that look like? I, I think it's a process, but I think it, it, it initially starts with people's hearts and minds being completely transformed by God's word. Yeah. You know, um, and, and once that happens, then I want what's best for my kids. If I understand that I am raising up eternal beings and they are going to live forever. Uh, it changes the way that I prioritize what's important. And um, them being on the travel ball team is not as important as them being secure in Christ for all of eternity. Right. You know, and, uh, and, and then so um, we invest in their futures by training them to know what Deuteronomy chapter six says, you know, um, teach this to your kids continually, always have it before them, write it on the doors of your house and all that you do when you're walking down the street, be instructing them in, in, in that that's, that's what the role of a parent should be. 
uh, not just me getting that next promotion so that I can make more money and we can buy a nicer house or, you know, have this right. new car, but investing in the eternity, investing in the eternity of my children, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, um, so that's the prayer. And, and I think the way that we do that is by us initially being transformed by the gospel, Yeah, you know, uh, Romans 12 to, uh, not being conformed to this world, not being conformed to what they say is is the way that church should look, not being conformed to the way that the, the world says um, a father should look or a mother should look or what's socially normal and acceptable, but being conformed by the renewing of our mind through God's word. Yep. So last thoughts? No, I agree. It's, uh, it's a big mind shift, um, especially because a lot of us have grown up in these situations. And, um, you know, I know that you hear a lot of stories of, you know, (laughs) even the people who end up, um, following Christ after like, you know, they get out of youth group and stuff. Yeah. A lot of their testimonies are like, you know, well, I was, you know, I was in the youth group and I did, you know, the stuff that I thought that I should do. And, but then, you know, at some point in time, I realized that I wasn't actually following Christ you know? Right. And that's the scary thing is that I think that there's a large swath of, of kids in youth groups who that's them. And hopefully, you know, prayerfully the Lord will turn their, you know, heart of stone into a heart of flesh and, and they'll realize this and repent of their sins. But, um, that reality is the case because of what we've been talking about. And, you know, youth groups are not, are not capable of doing the jobs that parents are supposed to do. And so right. they don't do it as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of my last thoughts. It's a very serious, uh, serious topic. It is. So. And I was going to mention this real quick. He's got uh, a couple of common, um, objections to this stance and uh, he's got, I think, um, he's got a couple objections. First one uh, that he hears a lot is we need youth ministry for parents who don't disciple their children. And he says to argue that parents' failure to do that, uh, the job that God has called them to do, to argue that that gives us the right and the responsibility to do it for them is a non sequitur teach families to do what the Bible tells them to do and then hold them accountable for it. Uh, He says another one is that uh, we need youth ministry for kids who don't have Christian parents. And he said kids who don't have Christian parents would be much better off participating in church services with intact Christian families than they, than they would, um, in a pack of teens, 90% of whom, according to studies, do not possess a biblical worldview. Right. I would much rather have little Johnny sitting with me and my wife and my children than have him over in the youth building or in any other youth section of the sanctuary. Uh, Another one is, why not let your children be leaders in the youth group to disciple other kids? He says here, um, I'm going to point back to Titus 2. It is not my child's job to disciple other people's children any more than it is the youth pastor's job to disciple mine. My children are the young women and young men in Titus 2. They need right, what they need right now is mentoring and discipleship. Sure, they have relationships with other children at church and they do uh, exert influence, but it's my job to be pouring into and discipling them. So, yeah. Going back to scripture for what what the standard for raising children in the admonition of the Lord looks like, and and, and so that there does need to be that though there needs to be this partnering with parents to equip them to do what God's called them to do. And right. So I think from you know for for me, like that's what I want the the brunt of my ministry to be is equipping parents mm-hmm. to be the parents of their kids to teach them God's word. And to raise them up. So um, having opportunity to be able to train and pour into the parents um, it, it is key. 
and making sure that they're regularly submitting to um, the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day. Right. So, well, if you are still here, we love you guys. Hope you have a good Lord's Day today. And if you've got thoughts on this, uh, message us. Um, There's a link in the show notes where you can get in touch with us. If you have, if you agree, if your church is doing this, we'd love to hear from you about what that looks like. Uh, if it's not, and you would like somebody to talk to on what that would actually look like, uh, message us and we'll get back with you. Um, yeah, just let us know what you think. Yep. All right. Well, we will see you next week for episode 50. Ooh. Man. Wow. Andrew's going to do something really special for you on episode 50. I am. Just wait. All right. Mm. Mm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.